If you have your Bibles, go and grab those. Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning as we continue through the study in Nehemiah. Up to this point, Nehemiah, he has heard that the walls are still in ruin and the gates are down and he has left the palace in Persia as a cupbearer to the king to go back and to make things right. He's inspected the damage. And after inspecting the damage, he rallies the troops in order to begin building the walls. And so we pick up in chapter 4 as opposition comes in. So enemies of God seek to stop the work of God. The kingdom work will always be opposed by the enemies of the king. And spiritual warfare is not a matter of if, but when it takes place. And so the people of God are the ones who do the work of God, but also have to fight the battle of God. So what are the battle in which we are to fight as Spurgeon once said, what are God's battles? The Lord's battle is first of all with sin. Seek grace to fight that battle in your own heart. Endeavor to, by divine grace to overcome those propensities which continually push you towards iniquity. On your knees, wrestle against the besetting sins. As habits appear, endeavor to break them by the battle acts of strong resolution wielded by the arm of faith. Take all your lust as they best themselves to the foot of the cross and let the blood of Jesus fall upon those vipers and they must die. The blood of Christ shall spill the blood of sin. Who are we that are to fight the Lord's battle? Not everybody. The Lord has his army, his church. Who are they? The Lord's soldiers are all of his own choosing. He has chosen them out of the world and they are not of the world, even as Christ is not of the world." As we begin to see the uh, opposition move its way in into the work here in chapter 4, we see that the enemy comes from all different angles, and he comes in to disrupt, and discourage, and to challenge the people of God. And as Stephen Cole once said, as long as you live with one foot in the world, living according to the world's values and for the world's goals, Satan won't trouble you. You can go to church and even pray and read your Bible and he won't mind. But the minute you wake up from your spiritual lethargy, shake off the worldly mindset and commit yourself to radical obedience to Jesus Christ, you will encounter spiritual opposition. Whenever godly leaders attempt to rally God's people to advance his kingdom, opposition will hit. Satan doesn't mind when churches gather to sing or to hear soothing sermons about how to use the Bible to achieve personal success. Those churches are no threat to his domain of darkness. But when a pastor preaches the gospel that convicts sinners of their sin in the presence of a holy God and points them to the cross of Jesus Christ, look out. When a pastor calls the flock to obedience, holy living in a wicked world, look out. When a pastor directs the vision of the flock toward the unreached nations who are waiting to hear the gospel, look out. The enemy is committed to opposing that kind of work. Sadly to say, there are many churches that gather today to sing songs and hear soothing sermons about how to use the Bible for personal achievement. But today we're here to talk about Jesus Christ and what he has done on our behalf. The kingdom of God takes the kingdom work. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to break chapter four into three different sections instead of reading all the way through at once. Let's take these in three distinct areas. So the kingdom work and the enemy's attack. If you're there with me, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. 
And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of the Samaria, of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Let's stop right there. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the light that it is to our path. We thank you for how it reveals your son, Jesus Christ, and the plan that you had from the very beginning to redeem a people, to bring people back into a right relationship with you through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. So today, as we walk through this Old Testament narrative, Lord, Point us to you. Show us your glory. Show us your grace. Show us your mercy and your forgiveness and draw us into an intimate relationship with you stronger than we've ever had. In Christ's name, amen. The enemy attacks God's word, A. The enemy attacks. We see here now Samballot heard that they were building a wall and he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers, and the army of Samaria. And so this initial attack comes in the public forum. And the public platform is the enemy's playground. Christianity is under attack in the public forum. This social media, think social media. As we look at social media, you cannot win an argument on social media. Have you tried to win an argument on social media? Because as soon as you put forth your biblical worldview, you've got attacks coming from all different angles, questioning your, your belief your faith, your abilities. This is what is taking place in the public platform. The public platform is the enemy's playground and it has his home field advantage. He's called in Ephesians chapter two, the prince of the power of the air. He is walking around seeking those he can lead astray. And even in Matthew chapter four, verse nine, as Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, He said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Speaking of the kingdoms of this world, Satan has a power, he has authority, he has over this current world system and his attacks come in waves of questioning to undermine our ability, our authenticity and our allegiance and it comes under a public format. The enemy will question your allegiance to God's word. It comes in a question form. Even as we begin here, there's this undermining that is taking place. Now, when Samballot heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. Listen, the enemy is angry and greatly enraged when there is kingdom work that is being done. And so what does he do? He jeered at the Jews in a public format. The word jeered means mockery. It means to imitate, to make fun of someone. I, I think SNL skit when I think about the jeering that's going on here. So if you've ever watched SNL, and I'm not promoting it from the stage, okay, I'm just saying if you've ever watched it, that you know that when it's, you know, the political time of year, that they make fun of everyone on the political platform. And so they make fun of them by mocking them and and putting on a show. This is the idea that's going on here. So under, under a public format, 
the Jews are now being mocked. They're now being jeered at. They're being made fun of. And then it comes in a wave of questioning on their ability. Verse 2, And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive these stones out of heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? He then begins to question their circumstances and their shortcomings, their abilities. Do they really think they can do this? Have you ever been attacked and that was the thought in the back of your head? Do you, do you really think you can do this? You, you're in over your head. Look at what you're working with. The attack comes with questions. And then in verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Ooh, burn, right? Man, that was a good one. You know, he just, he, I don't know if you watched cartoons as a kid like I did, but you know the big bulldog and then you had the little chihuahua? Yeah, boss, yeah, boss, get him, get him, get him, boss, yeah. That's what I see Tobiah as. He's that little, you know, dog, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is his, yeah, I'm going to get a jab in. A fox would knock down their wall. Oh, That's just how I read it. And uh, Tobiah, he's trying to sound cool and get his jab in. But there's one thing that takes place is that when the enemies of God see you trying to rebuild your life, they will often ridicule the quality and the stability of your faith every time they see a flaw or a slip up in your character. In fact, they'll say things like, this won't last. You've tried this before. They'll analyze certain things about your life that point out shortcomings and insecurities in your life. When the enemy questions our authenticity and integrity, he usually points out insufficiencies and exposes our insecurities. Oftentimes, the questioning and the attack is so internal that we begin to question ourselves because I, I know I'm a failure. I know that in my own ability, I cannot pull this off. And so the attack is coming with an onslaught of questioning. And as David Guzik puts it, like most attacks of discouragement, there is a trace of truth in the words of the enemy. As builders, the Jews were feeble. They would not complete it in a day. They didn't have the best materials to work with. A lying, discouraging attack will often have some truth in it, but it will neglect the great truth. God is with us and has promised to see us through the attack of the enemy, B, the enemy attacks God's glory. Here we see Nehemiah's response to the attack. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. He makes it personal for God. This is an attack on you. This is against your glory. This is an attack on your work. This is an attack on your word. This is an attack on you. And it may be directed at the ones that are doing the work, but it is ultimately an attack on Christ. Ultimately, every attack on the church is an attack on Christ. It's an attack on his glory, on his kingdom. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And when the body is attacked, it's a personal attack on the head as well. The church, which was created by God, bought by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit is a light that exposes the darkness and those who love the darkness will inevitably attack the light. It's not a matter of if spiritual attacks will come for those who choose to do the work of of God. It's when. And when the enemy attacks the work of God and seeks to diminish the light of the glory of God, pray. Pray. It seems simple, these few verses of his prayer, but prayer is the response to attacks. Now, I can't tell you Nehemiah prays a very nice prayer. In fact, he's saying, like, let's just make them die in their own sin, okay? Let's just, let's see your wrath be poured out on them because they've attacked your people and now they've attacked you, so let's see it, God. Let's see what you have to do here, but Nehemiah does respond with prayer, and in fact, we are to respond to persecution with prayer. Matthew 5, Jesus teaches But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus knows that the power to overcome the the enemy's attacks is found in prayer. This is why he prays for Simon Peter when he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When the attack is coming, when the questions are in your mind, and when you're feeling the attack from all different areas of your life for the work that God's called you to do, pray. And a lot of times that battle is inward. It's, you're, you're all up in your mind, am I right? And you're, you're wrestling with those questions. You're wrestling with faith. You're, you're in there. And so just pause. Pray. There's power in prayer. See, the enemy attacks God's work. He attacks God's word. He attacks God's glory. And he attacks the work that's going on. Verse 6, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Do you have a mind to work? A mind to work. They were not deterred. They were not discouraged or delayed because they had a mind to work. They got to work even though they were being attacked. The people of God must have a mind for work. Titus 3.14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. We must learn to be devoted to a kingdom work because unless we're devoted to a kingdom work, we're, we're going to be unfruitful in the kingdom. Jude, verse 3, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude was like, I would love to write to you about this salvation, this this great news, this this salvation that we share together, but I, I have to share with you an urgent call to contend for the faith, to go to battle, to go to war, to struggle with it, because... If you aren't contending for the faith, you're susceptible to compromise your faith. We have to have a mind for the work because if we're not contending for the faith, we're susceptible to compromise our faith. The good news in this battle of 
the attack is that Jesus is the greater Nehemiah who overcame the attack of the enemy. 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 23, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. As Eric Mason would say in his commentary, our benchmark for how to respond to opposition is Jesus Christ, who also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus is the ultimate example of what it means to thrive in the face of opposition. He was opposed from the beginning of his ministry. He was kicked out of his hometown, interrogated by religious people, stalked by his enemies. Attempts were made to entrap him. He had a mole in his inner circle. He was abandoned by those closest to him and framed for a crime he did not commit. But throughout Jesus' experience of opposition, his character remained intact and he continued doing what God had called him to do undeterred. He taught people, he made disciples, he healed sickness. He prayed for people who hated him. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly and on the cross he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus had a mind for God's work. Let me ask you, has the mind of Christ so captured you that you have a mind for the work, even in the face of opposition? Kingdom work and why the enemy attacks. Why? Let's pick up verse 7 through 14. When Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. There's a call to a kingdom fight. Why the enemy attacks? The enemy attacks to confuse. Why are we facing all of this opposition? He wants to confuse us. It says that Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard about the repairing of the walls and they all began to say, we'll come against them together. They were going to attack from all sides. Samballat's group, the Samaritans, would have been from the north. The Arabs would have been from the south. The Ashdodites would have been from the west and the Ammonites from the east. So they had Jerusalem surrounded and that is why they say they're not gonna know where we're coming from or when we're coming until we're on them and we kill them and stop the work. This shows us that when the enemy attacks, he usually attacks by 
coming at you from all different sides with all different people. And usually it's people that may not have anything in common except for their common enemy, which is the church, which is the king, which is Christ. Today we're under attack by all types of agendas. Not to get on a soapbox or anything, but it's not hard for us to see that in the social um, realm that there is an attack on conservative Christianity. The attacks are coming from same-sex marriage, transgenderism, my body, my choice, wokeism. You can, you can just keep going down the list and you don't know which way the attack is coming until it shows up because they've all got one thing in common is that they want to come against the truth. And so verse nine, what was the response? And we prayed to our God to set, and set guard as a protection against them day and night. Pray and prepare. The response to the enemy's attack that leaves you confused and frustrated is to pray. As I was reading this week, I came across a Navigator's article written by Geraldine Harris and Kristen Maddox, and it said this story. Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to his demons, he said, we can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from biblical values, but we can do something else. We can keep them from forming an intimate, continual experience with Christ. If, we, if they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church. Let them have their Christian lifestyles, but steal their time so they can't gain that experience with Jesus Christ. This is what I want to do. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining the vital connection throughout the day. How shall we do this? They asked. Keep them busy with the non-essentials of life and invest unnumbered schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 and borrow, borrow, borrow. Convince them to work six or seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day, so they can afford the lifestyle. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their families fragment, soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear the still small voice. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them run, have them return from their holidays exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the coming week. And when they gather for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so they leave with souls unfulfilled. Let them be involved in evangelism, but crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Christ. Soon they will be doing the work on their own strength, sacrificing their health, their family unit, all for a good cause. It's distracting, but the enemy's attacks are coming from all different angles, and we don't even realize it. It's distracting us from the work that God has called us to do, even distracting us with good things. Why the enemy attacks? He attacks to confuse, and B, the enemy attacks to keep control of your weakest areas. Nehemiah verse 7, 4 verse 7, and 10 through 13. Let's read that again. But when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were being, beginning to be closed, they were very angry. The breaches were beginning to be closed. So verse 10, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing and is too much rubble. By ourselves, 
we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, spears and their bows. So the enemy attacks to keep control of the weakest areas. The breaches were beginning to be closed up. Let me ask you, do you know what your weak areas are? Do you know where you are most vulnerable for Satan's attacks? As you seek to do the Lord's work, where are you more susceptible to take a flaming dart from the enemy? You probably know this. You know where the lowest parts are. But let me ask you, do you have people standing guard with you? Do you have accountability that comes alongside you to help you fight the good fight of faith? It may be pornography. It might be gossip. It might be substance abuse. It might be lying. It might be fraud. It might be cheating. It might be slander. It might be ill will. It might be hatred. It might be unforgiveness. I don't know what the area is that is a weak area for you, but do you have people coming alongside you to stand guard in the weakest areas? Because you know that's where the enemy is going to attack. See, the enemy attacks to make you lose focus. Verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In kingdom work, we are to remember the Lord and resist the devil. Remember and resist. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In the kingdom work, we are to use God-given resources and take responsibility for what he's given us. Resources, and responsibilities. In Acts chapter 2, the early church was given two great resources. Number one, the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And number two, it may be missed, but there's another resource that's given, and it's the body. It's the church. The church is a resource that is given. Acts 2, 42 through 47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. One of the greatest gifts given to those who believe in Jesus Christ is the church that surrounds them. It's a resource, but it's also a responsibility. The resources are there. The responsibility is laid on everyone. This is why Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, you might have been memorizing this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Don't neglect the resources and the great responsibility that we have been given as the body of Christ, the church. Because kingdom work is a kingdom fight with a community of believers. You are not on your own. When there is, when there is low areas in your life, there are people that can come alongside you and help you, keep you accountable. The good news is that Jesus is the greater Nehemiah who knows how to use the sword to fight off the attack of the enemy. They were there to fight. Fight for their families, for their loved ones. It says for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Fight the good fight. Jesus, when he was opposed by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, he fought back with the sword. He answered in verse 4, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 7, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 10, Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus used the sword to fight off the enemy's schemes. We too are to use the sword. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. As we go to war, oftentimes we have to take the word, the sword, and we go to war on ourselves, dividing what is truth, what we believe that is sometimes false. The kingdom work and the fighting, the good fight of faith. Picking up verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that, the God, that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half the men held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, and they, that they may be guard for us by night and may be labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. A, the call to kingdom work is a fighting work. It's a fighting work. Any kingdom work worth doing is worth fighting for. In fact, all of our kingdom work will be a fight to the end. As Paul, in his latter days, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Keeping the faith will be a fight. It's a fight. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, 
by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. It is a fight to be fought for the kingdom. And the call to kingdom work is a standing work. It's a fight, it's a fighting work, and it's a standing work. Verses 16 and 17. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way as to each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. The church is, to not, is not to be weak. Christian follower of Christ, you are not to be weak. You are not to be frail. You are not to be insecure. You are not to be passive. You are not to retreat in your beliefs and your convictions when you are questioned. You are to stand firm in the truth. The modern church, however, is often viewed as weak because it has weak morals. The morals of this world have breached the walls and made their way into the church. Weak theology. There are many who claim to be followers of Christ that may not even have a good theology on who Christ is. There are many who are weak in obedience. And so the world looks at them as, as not being able to take them serious. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 will say, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. The kingdom work is a standing work. And see, the kingdom work is a call to join in his fight. Nehemiah verse 20. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. What are we fighting for? The thing we're fighting for is that God would be glorified in our lives. It is a battle. We're fighting for our faith family, the church. We're fighting for our marriages. We're fighting for our children, that they would be protected from the enemy's attacks and that the kingdom will advance to those who have not heard the good news. 
we don't have a mind to work, a mind to fight, a mind to stand, then we would compromise in our battle in these areas. So as Piper would say, for now, until the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, until then, the followers of the Lamb are called to imitate their master because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. For now, until the Lord Jesus, with his eyes aflame of fire and his robe dipped in blood and with a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations until he comes to tread the winepress of fury on the wrath of God, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For now, until Christ appears a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Until then, the Lord declares, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. We, until he returns, we fight a fight of faith. We fight against sin. We wage war against it, knowing that one day he will return to make all things right. It's a kingdom work. And the greatest news is, is that Jesus is greater than Nehemiah because he fights for us and he fought for us on the cross. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're fighting a battle that's already been won. As Colossians 2, 9 through 15 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled, with, filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Though the public forum may not be our playground, Jesus came and in the public forum put them to shame by defeating the enemies. Through the cross and through the cross, we now are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We are not condemned, but we are justified. And so we walk by faith. We walk with our our arms ready to defend what we believe because we believe in the one who came to save us, the one who came to rebuild us because we were broken, the one who came to heal us because we were sick, the one who gave us salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him today, I pray that you would bow your knee before him because you will either bow it on this side of heaven or that side, this side of eternity or that side. So fight the good fight of faith church, because the battle is already won in Jesus Christ.